Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 21, recorded on Saturday, July 27th, 2019. The title of this episode is Moto America Supersport Rider Braden Ort. In this episode, I talk with professional motorcycle road racer Braden Ort, who races a Kawasaki ZX6R in the Supersport class of the Moto America Racing Series. One of my goals in helping grow the sport of motorcycling is to bring more attention to motorcycle racing, and in particular, motorcycle racing in the U.S. with series such as Moto America. Even if you don't watch or follow motorcycle racing or any form of racing, I think you'll really enjoy learning from this amazingly talented and driven 19-year-old racer from Canada. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. Joining me today is my special guest, Braden Ort, who races a Kawasaki ZX6R for the Ort Racing Team in the Supersport division of Moto America. Supersport is Moto America's middleweight race class and features the series Rising Stars competing aboard production-based motorcycles. Braden started his racing career in Canada at the age of 12 and hasn't looked back since. With nine races in the books, Braden is currently ranked 10th in the championship in a field of 38 racers. Braden also enjoys snowboarding in the off-season and getting on the lake for some wake surfing and jet skiing between rounds during the race season. So welcome, Braden. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm glad we were able to set this up. So um, my, my listeners have probably heard me tell this story a couple times, and they may be getting a little tired of it, but you haven't heard it yet. So before we dive into the interview and stuff, I just thought I'd give you a little bit about my background. So... So basically, I started riding motorcycles about three years ago in my early 50s, you know, kind of, I, f I found it late in life, <laughs> as, yeah. oppo as, a, as opposed to you. Like, I think that's really cool that you started racing at age 12. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, but, but so the thing is, you know, like, like anyone that rides motorcycles, I, I just, I love it. I just, it's just such a fun thing to do. Uh, this, this, it's so rewarding. There's such a cool community around people that ride motorcycles and stuff. So I, you know, a after I kind of got to the point where I felt I learned enough, you know, by listening to podcasts and, and reading and whatever, that I had something to say and something to share, I decided to start the podcast. So, you know, my goal is to just help do whatever I can to expand the sport of motorcycling, including motorcycle racing, you know, and that includes like basically, you know, helping people who don't ride, who are interested, get started, you know, helping people who have started riding, improve their skills, help people who are experienced get even better. And then, you know, for people who are interested, facilitate and help them get to do track days if they want to do that or even get into racing. And the, the way I'm doing that is by, you know, talking and interviewing with people such as yourself, you know, people who are experts in, in their area of motorcycling and just making them known to my listeners, you know, so that the listeners know that there's like all these resources and things out there. So actually, um, 
two episodes ago, I interviewed Keith Code from California Superbike School, which was really cool. Um, yeah. You know, and I know like he's had a real big influence, you know, in the field of motorcycling and racing and then training people or whatever. So anyway, so it's been really cool getting a chance to do this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, like I said to you before we started, um, I, I do hope to interview other people in motorcycle racing, particularly Moto America, because, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to support Moto America and, and do what I can to help, you know, build the popularity. Um, fortunately, you know, I, I got to do this with you first. So that's, that's cool. You're my first Moto America interview. And, uh, actually if, if I'm not mistaken, I actually got to you before, uh, before, uh, Paul Carruthers and Sean Bice. Cause I know eventually I'm sure they'll have you on their podcast, the, uh, yeah. off track. <laughs> so, so that's, that's cool. That, that, that's really cool. Um, Anyway, so uh, yeah, so that that's kind of where 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 I'm coming at with the whole thing. So I just want to we'll talk a little bit about your background. So your hometown is Calgary in Alberta, Kent, Canada, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, is that is that where you were born? Yeah, I was born there, and I've been living there uh, ever since. I actually just got done my first year of university, um, so I'm going to school out in British Columbia, which is the province over. Um, so during the kind of the couple starting rounds of this Moto America year, I was, uh, flying in and out of there instead, but thankfully I'm, uh, I'm off this summer. Okay. Gotcha. So you're a pretty busy dude. Yeah. Cause I know you, yeah, you, uh, it, it sounds has, like, it has been real busy. yeah, cause you're, you're, well, we'll get into the details in a little bit, but you're racing in two series this season, right? So yeah. Moto America and AFM you mentioned. Yep. And, and what does AFM stand for? Uh, it stands for uh, American Federation of Motorcyclists. Okay. Um, it's based out of California. Okay. And is that road road racing as well? Yep. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's just uh, on the club level. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, and so what what, uh, what what are you studying in, in university? What's your, do you have like a chosen major yet? Yeah, so I actually chose uh, chemistry as my major this year. Um, I'm hoping to go into plastic surgery. It's a, uh, it's, I think it's like a 12 year road, um, road to getting there. But uh, I've got some time to figure it out. But so far, that's the plan. Okay, gotcha. All right, so that's a, that's a pretty uh, ambitious program to get into. Surgery. That, yeah. That's a, that, that's a <laughs> that's that's a that's a cool thing. That that's there's a lot to know about that. Yeah, no, no yeah. kidding. It's uh, it's been tough so far, but thankfully, uh, thankfully, I got this. You know, got through the first year, and uh, now I can kind of regroup and go at the second year with a uh, running. You know, hitting the ground running kind of thing. Right. Okay. And so that this will be second year of your bachelor's degree, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. This, uh, cool. this September first. Oh, nice. Cool. And so uh, you turned nineteen back in February, right? Yep. Okay. Cool. So belated happy birthday. so you're you're accomplishing a lot at your age that that, that's really cool now um i know you're 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 actually doing this interview from your rv so are are you at a racetrack this weekend or just traveling around Uh, well i'm actually i'm actually injured right now i i um bruised some muscles in my shoulder and uh had a slight separation in my ac joint after i crashed at laguna um so I'm currently driving my RV back home, but uh, I was supposed to be racing uh, this weekend at Thunder Hill, and I actually have to drive past it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go there and spend a couple of days there and and uh, hang out with my team and have some meetings and and whatnot, um, and then yeah, rally back to Canada. Cool. Okay, so you the RV obviously was in uh, 
Laguna Seca for the race. And so now you're in the process of taking it home, basically driving it home. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. You bring up the accent. I was going to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, I, I saw the video, I know you posted, I think on your Facebook page, right. Yep. Um, you know, and it had been kind of, you know, whatever, make, making the rounds after the race, but you had a, a pretty wicked high side, right. At Laguna Seca. I think that was yep. basically was the, the top of the corkscrew, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It happened, you know, at, uh, at the worst spot possible. It was, it was a long fall. Um, but if I was going to crash anywhere at that track, I'm kind of, kind of glad that I have, I can say that I crashed with the corkscrew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I got you. You know, it, it's funny cause, um, I've, I've never been to that track and you know, obviously I've, I've never ridden that track, but I have played some race games, car racing games, like on my phone and yep. whatever that have that track. And and so it was just it's just kind of interesting because like and, and I know this is, you know, for racers, right? It's an important thing to learn a track so that you know the, the way you're gonna improve your 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 times and whatever is you need to learn all the aspects of the track. And Keith Code, like in a twist of the wrist, you know, he spends quite a bit of time talking about that, right? Like analyzing a track and understanding the turns and are they increasing radius, decreasing radius, on camber, off camber, you know, what what's how do you handle banking and stuff like that? It's actually really kind of interesting to get into to all the technical stuff. But but the point I was getting to is so I've actually I, I I don't remember the whole track, but like having like virtually raced that track enough times, I actually know like that whole section, right? Because yeah. you you come up, it's basically an uphill rise, right? Coming towards the corkscrew, right? Yeah. It's actually quite a bit of elevation change coming up. And then if I remember correctly, you're kind of I think sweeping to the left a little bit and there's kind of a bit of a, a rise, right? So I'm guessing if yep. you're not careful, you, you wheelie off of that. And then you, you kind of, I think, sweep around to the left and then you just like drop into the corkscrew, right? Which is basically, it's kind of a a left, it's like a left kind of sharp right, sharp left, and then a right, I think, right before you, you head down towards the main, well, not the main straightaway, but I guess the start finish line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think... Uh, you know, like you said, elevation-wise, I uh, I can't remember exactly what it is just for the corkscrew alone, but I know from that uh, from the top of the corkscrew until kind of it gets flat, uh, just three corners later, um, I believe it's like a ten-story drop or something ridiculous like that. Okay, wow, yeah, which is why it's such so difficult. And I, I know, I mean, really, like if I think about it, like so the the kind of really classic videos you see of either car racing or or motorcycle racing are often like in the corkscrew like I, I just remember like years ago seeing some wicked passes by like alex zanardi when he was racing you know and uh whatever i think it was him and jacques villeneuve or something like that and i've seen some yeah. like re- really cool stuff with motorcycle racing um and more like moto gp i think it was i forget i don't know if it was last season or whatever but it was like marquez and i don't know if it was marquez and uh rossi or something but anyway it's it's, it's kind of kind of interesting yeah, absolutely. That's uh the corkscrew is such a interesting and, and uh iconic spot that uh that is where you'll find a lot of those those uh historic passes. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm just so glad to to have ridden that and, and experienced what it's like. Um because the honestly the video angles don't really give it uh don't really give it credit. Um so it's kinda tough to really grasp what it's all about. Um, but if, you know, looking at back on those videos, uh, it's, it gives them a new respect. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because I, like, like I said, like just racing that track and then that section virtually, just like in a computer game is tough enough. So I can't I can't imagine what it's like on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. It uh, it is definitely definitely one of the trickier spots because, you know, you can talk about uh, kind of a rule of thumb for taking a cambered corner or a. Uh, you know, like you said, like maybe an increasing radius or a decreasing radius, but this is so unlike any other corner. Um, it's kind of tough to really uh, get a handle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. I'm, I'm guessing that's the kind of thing like you could you could race that track a hundred times and still feel you could improve, like in that section. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, you're so right. Yeah, that's wild. So if if you don't mind, I'll actually I'll, I'll post the link to the video, your your crash video on on the show notes for people who want to see it. I mean, I, I I think it's amazing. Like it, it was like I said, it was a pretty wicked crash, and I know it looked like you were sh- shaking quite a bit, you know, just after after kind of coming to a stop. But yeah, it, it seems all things considered, you know, obviously you've got some injuries and stuff you've got to, to recover from, but it wasn't too bad, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh for sure be warned the video is uh um it can be kind of hard to watch um but after you know after knowing that uh I'm okay and uh and whatnot it's uh, makes it a little bit better so for sure um yeah it'd be be great to to post it but uh for sure be warned that uh, it is a little little tough to little watch for some people graphic yeah for sure and i'll I'll put a note to that effect just just so people know i mean from my point of view like i i hate to see things like that like i don't i never want to see want to see anyone you know whether it's a road rider a race or whatever get hurt right like that's we're not yeah. you know, no one no one wants to see that but I think for someone that's willing to look at the video to see, right, because one of the things I try to promote as much as possible is safety, whether it's on the street, on the track, whatever, and equipment and, you know, having the right gear and, and whatever. And I think, you know, someone who's willing to take a look at that video and say, hey, you know, Braden came out of it pretty good. And in large part, I mean, obviously you're trained, you, you know, I'm sure you're in very good physical condition. You're you're younger, right? So you bounce back quicker yep. than people like myself. Yeah. But still, like... <laughs> I'm sure the gear was a big part of it. Like, like from, from oh, your, absolutely. from your perspective, like, w- like what, like what's your thoughts about the gear? Like in what ways did that help you protect you? Well, um, so I'm wearing Cortex leathers and a showy helmet. Um, okay. and, and, uh, I'm sure when, you know, if, if anyone out there takes a look at that video, you'll see that it's a, it's a big drop that I had and a very hard hit. Um, just the way that I came off was, uh, was perfect for inducing injury. Um, yeah. but my helmet, uh, you know, my body hit and then my, my head actually slingshotted right into the ground. Um, but my, my helmet, uh, shattered, um, on the back right side, totally, mm-hmm. totally shattered spider crack, um, in, in a huge area. But, uh, you know, I, I walked away from that. Um, I was a little shaken up of course, but, uh, I went to um, a clinic for concussion assessment, and mm-hmm. uh, I had very, uh, very minor concussion symptoms. Um, it's just that my uh, my eyes weren't uh, weren't quite tracking in one exercise. Other than that, my memory, my balance, um, everything else was okay. Um, which, looking at the video, is really hard to believe. Actually, so um, you know. I, I can't thank Shoei helmets enough for uh, for the level of for the quality of their helmet. Um, it's pretty incredible that I was able to walk away from that and and, and only have 
just a little bit of recovery time and, and still be okay. And then the leathers um, as well. Uh, Cortec came out with a new uh, a new line of leathers this year, and um, they've got incredible shoulder protection, and uh, they're really lightweight. So when feeling them, you might be a little bit skeptical, but uh, I've had a couple crashes this year um, and been able to walk away from all except for this one relatively okay. And even this one, um, I hit so hard that it would have made sense if I you know tore my rotator cuff or broke some bones, honestly. Um, but with just a small, I mean, uh, it was a three millimeter AC joint separation, which is a, the smallest you can, you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some otherwise bruising, uh, in my muscles and to walk away from that with, with just that, uh, that small of an injury. Um, again, uh, huge props to Cortec for, for the quality of their leathers. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, that's, that's awesome. And I mean, just what you mentioned about like the helmet shattering, I mean, like I kind of look at that and I go, okay, well, yeah, so right. You have to replace the helmet, which well, I mean, you, you do that anyway, right. In an, in an impact, yeah. but it, it kind of says to me, well, you know, that, that some of the energy actually went into that, like into cracking the helmet as opposed to being transmitted to your head, you know? So that absolutely. Pro- probably, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a helmet, you know, crash scientist or anything, but it just like intuitively, I'm just like, wow, that's actually probably a pretty good thing. You know, it's almost like having crumple zones on a car or something. There's something else to absorb the energy than your body, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. totally nailed it. It's uh it's important that these helmets, um, crack like this and they you know it's a shame that they're only good for one crash uh once they once they have an impact but uh they're they're made uh to do their job and they do it really well by by cracking and allowing uh like you said that some of that energy to be to be dissipated uh in the form of the foam cracking anyways um Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah i shouldn't have said that it shattered the uh the shell was still intact and everything uh with with the exception of of some pretty deep scratches but yeah the foam on the inside is what uh what really just broke apart uh, oh gotcha or, uh, okay okay cra- right. cracked up and spider cracked like those you know um like it's supposed to mm-hmm. okay that makes even more sense and i might have misinterpreted what you were saying there um so um i know like in moto gp now uh like airbag suits are mandatory is is anyone in moto america using airbag you know equipped race suits do you think that's coming you know do you think that may eventually become a requirement yeah you know what um i know there's a few riders in moto america that are wearing um wearing that kind of technology and then uh, i'm sure you've seen uh there's also these uh airbag vests that you can put on with a with a tether to your bike yeah yeah exactly exactly um so i know there's there's also a couple riders um just a small handful that actually that are that are using that technology and then uh also a small handful that are using proper uh airbag technology and um cortec unfortunately has yet to come out with uh that in their line of suits but i know alpine star and danese are making it uh readily more available uh, or more readily available to mm-hmm. the public and to other suit manufacturers as well because their technology is so well developed um, that it's kind of tough for any other company to try and compete by developing their own system. So they're right. making it um, they're making it a safer racing environment and, and riding environment by by allowing other suits to try and adapt their technology to uh, to their own suits. So 
I guarantee you we're going to see um, pretty closely in the near future um, uh, other uh, other suit manufacturers coming out with with airbag technology because I know for sure that Alpine Star and uh, Dana say suits the full race suits with airbag are uh, they're not cheap uh, mm-hmm. for sure but by allowing other companies to use their technology uh, I think it's going to bring down down the cost and make it more available for a wider range of people and, and make the the whole motorcycle world um, a safer place. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point that, you know, as they license their technology to other manufacturers, right, you, you, you get it in more and more suits, more broadly available, which does a lot of things. One, there's just more people protected. Two, you know, like you said, they can start to amortize the cost. So maybe, you know, the adding the airbag protection to a suit starts to go down in price. And then even maybe that provides the money that it's it's easier for them to continue the research, you know, so that, the, the, you yeah. know, pro- and product development so that they get even better and better. Um, I know one of the things I've I've mentioned on a past podcast episode is, you know, Dainese has now their smart jacket, which is it's kind of along the lines of like the Helite vest, except it has the microprocessor technology built in. Right. So there's no tether to the motorcycle. You know, it it automatically arms itself and it knows when to deploy. It's actually interesting, too, because I was reading that that vest will not work with electric motorcycles because the way it arms itself, like once you turn it on, it needs to sense the, some vibration in the motorcycle and then it will activate and it like, and it, it oh, turns, wow. it, it turns itself on. Right. So that if there is something, you know, goes wrong, it knows how to deploy. So electric motorcycles, cause they're so, <laughs> they're so like quiet and whatever, and they don't vibrate. It, it, it doesn't work right now. I'm sure they'll address that. Oh. You know? Yeah. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> Yeah, very interesting. Um, I don't know actually what what kind of technology is in the Dainese and Alpine Star uh, suits, like the D Air um, system that they they have. Yeah. Um, but I also know that uh, electric bikes are making a huge uh, huge steps into the racing world. Like um, I believe at uh, some of the MotoGP events, yep, they have yep. Moto E now. Supplemental- yep. Yeah, yeah, and ESBK, E-Superbike, and whatnot. Um, it's pretty incredible to see uh, that world. It is pretty isolated, I feel like, right now. Um, mm-hmm. But that's another thing that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that making a huge come into some of the racing series, even Moto America, World Superbike, uh, MotoGP, British Superbike. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see that uh, as a, as another class here within the next couple of years, and that's another thing um, that is pretty uh, expensive still. Um, yes. So I think I think as more people are uh, getting into it and seeing how cool it is, uh, I wouldn't doubt that we see also those costs going down and see more people uh, trying trying it out. Uh, absolutely I, not. I think you're right. And it is, it's interesting because like, you know, uh, electric bikes have been racing for quite a few years now in Isle of Man. Um, it's at least a couple of years in, uh, the, uh, Pikes Peak hill climb. Although I, I yeah. just saw, I just saw an article recently. I think it was on asphalt and rubber that the Pikes Peak organization has decided because of the, the tragedy just this past year, Carlin Dunn, I think was his name, lost his yeah. life racing right uh, um they've actually decided to stop motorcycle racing on pikes peak so that's oh, that right? uh, yeah i mean i i get it you know i mean it's, it's a tragic thing like i said you never want to see people get injured or, or die or anything like that i whatever i mean 
personally, I'd, I'd like to see them continue. Maybe that'll change, but I guess right now there's so much upset surrounding that that they've decided to announce that they're they're not going to allow it anymore. But yeah, like um, it's interesting too because um, you know there's been the uh, the FIA has had the Formula was it called Formula E electric cars racing. I think they're in their fourth season now, and actually my oh, girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, my girlfriend Jean and I had actually seen them race in New York City. They did a uh, you know a, a street race basically, you know, closed off sections of the the, the street and whatever, and set okay. up a, set up a course, which which was it was cool to see because it's like new and whatever. Honestly, you know, if you're into car racing, like and and if you like like Formula One and IndyCar and stuff like that, it's kind of like meh, you know, it's like it's because and and it's getting better, you know. And then the thing is the technology yep. improving and whatever, but you know, it's like. When we went, it was probably two, three years ago, right? So they were just kind of getting started. I think they're in the second season. So they're still yeah. developing the battery technology. You know, I think the cars could do like 10 laps or something. And that oh, yeah. that, that actually included switching cars. Like like midway through the race, like instead of getting gas, the driver would go into the garage, jump into another car that was fully charged and, and finish the race. You know, oh, wow. <laughs> it was just kind of weird. And uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, the other thing they talked about, and I know this is an issue on motorcycles too, and it's getting better, is that you have lots of problems with heat dissipation, right? And the more energy yeah. you discharge from the battery, the more you're concerned you have about the battery overheating and whatever. So they actually have all kinds of sophisticated software on board these electric race cars so that – if things are overheating, you know, kind of like like a fuse or circuit breaker in a house and you're, with your electricity, if things are overheating, the car either shuts down or, you know, diminishes the power or whatever. And so at least at that time, part of the strategy they said for the drivers was to not push the cars so hard that they were going to overheat and then the, the thing was going to shut off on them. So it, it's right. it's just a different – it's like a different style of racing. Um, totally. You know, and, you know it's, it's a game that they have to uh, – they have to – Try and take that strategy of, of not pushing the car quite as hard to, exactly. to prevent it from overheating. Um, but I, you know, I really feel like given given how much torque they can apply, uh, so much quicker than gas engines. Yeah. Um, really feel like it's it's uh, within the next couple of years when they start to figure out, like you said, some of that heat dissipation issue and uh, the longevity issue with with the battery life. Um, I do think that uh, we'll probably start seeing some close lap times to uh, uh, the gas, like typical, just regular motorcycles, gas engines, and whatnot. Oh, um, I, I really think that's that's kind of going to be the the way of the future. But it is it is really hard to get over uh, what it's like to to hear one rip by and and there just being no sound. I I remember watching a video on Instagram actually of a of a uh, I don't uh, what was it e superbike um a start and you know you usually when you watch the start you you get ready to uh to hear all the bikes ramp up and right. and just unbelievably loud but there it was just hissing it was the weirdest thing <laughs> yeah it, yeah it's a different kind of experience and it's interesting too because you know you mentioned like moto gp now has the moto e series and i think i know they've held at least one race uh, I, I don't know if they've done a second one yet, but I was listening to an interview with one of the riders, and his name escapes me. He's a British racer, I think Smith, maybe. I, I, I okay. forget. But but anyway, it was interesting to listen to him because he he was talking about the difference in racing, you know, gas powered bikes versus the the electric bikes, and in particular, he said because because the e bikes are so quiet, 
right? Relatively. I mean, there's still the transmission, yeah. the, gear, the gear noise, right? So that you kind of have that high-pitched yeah. whining sound, which kind of sounds cool in its own right. It's, to me, yeah. it, it ain't the same as a MotoGP or like Moto America, you know, Superbike. It's it's still not that cool, but yeah. but, it, but it's interesting, right? It has its own characteristic, its own quality. But yeah. but what he Absolutely. was saying, what he was saying was. The bike is so relatively quiet that when he was doing sharp corners, he could actually hear his knee puck scraping on the track. And it Whoa. was it was distracting him from listening to the bike because even though it's electric, you know, he's like, still, there's things you, you know, I guess I, did, I never thought of it, but I guess racers use their hearing a lot. You know, it's like listening yeah. to the sound of the, the motor and the transmission, you know, and the drive and like knowing how that relates to what they're experiencing on the bike. So he actually switched, he didn't say what it was, but a different material knee puck that didn't make as much noise. So I thought, wow, like that's, I I would have never thought about that being a problem, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Normal, normal MotoGP and, and super bikes and, uh, you know, all sorts of road bikes, uh, the noise, noise becomes an issue. Um, and hearing your, uh, knee puck drag on the ground, uh, is never really an issue, but that's really, uh, really interesting. Actually. So it's just, so I I guess the point was, it got me really thinking. And his point too was, Hey, this is, it's similar. It's motorcycles, but it's a different kind of racing. So now there's these new, there's more, you know, different nuances to it, different things to, to learn and adapt to, to get really good at it. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just, um, Briefly, just going back to your 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 accident at uh, Laguna Seca, do do you have an idea like what what happened, what went wrong? Yeah, so we um we made some setup changes from Friday to Sunday. Uh, we weren't on track on Saturday actually, uh, and within the first, so my first flying lap, uh, I set a time which was less than two tenths off of mm-hmm. my time from the entirety of Friday session. Uh, the Friday sessions. Um, so I was feeling really good about the bike. And uh, then actually uh, on my second flying lap, I just tucked the front also in the corkscrew. I was just used a little bit too much curbing and they've got that really stepped out curbing there. Yeah. So uh, a little bit too heavy on the front and uh, the front wasn't able to hook up. So I actually had a little low slide there. And um, got the bike in. They got it fixed. Uh, it just needed a foot peg and and brake guard and and um, I think a new clip on or or had something bent, something like that. And then uh, I went out, you know, started my flying lap after they were able to get it fixed, and uh, came up towards the top of the corkscrew. And um, I remember everything being the same. And my direction change was just a little bit quicker. And from left to right, um, my rear end, the rear tire actually came off the ground and drifted about, uh, I want to say like a, a 12 inches, 10 or 12 inches over to the left. Um, and then when it finally set down, it, uh, how do I say this? It when, it when it hooked up, it then simulated a high side and the the rear end of the motorcycle uh, shot me shot over to the right and shot me kind of over the front of the bike and and down the corkscrew, um, so it wasn't it wasn't a typical 
typical crash. It was pretty weird uh, for that to happen, for the rear end to, to come up during a direction change. And I've never had that happen. And I've also never seen that happen in the corkscrew. Um, mm-hmm. And given that I'm on a new new manufacturer this year, um, it has been a little bit of a learning curve, learning its characteristics and whatnot. Um, so it definitely wasn't something I was ready for uh, or, or expecting, rather. Um, so it it's really tough to pinpoint exactly uh why that happened but um just the just the characteristics of the motorcycle uh and and not being ready for that to happen um i think i think was the the factor there but yeah, yeah it was it did seem like a high side but then upon looking closer at that video uh you'll see that my rear end did come up and then set down and, and launch me from there yeah okay Gotcha. Um, so then, so so that motion of the motorcycle, right? The the lifting and 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 shifting to the left is is that something that like you actually felt, you know, when you were on the bike, or is that like you something that you see, you know, either looking at the video afterwards or from the onboard data or whatever? See, I I thought that I just got into a head shake coming down the hill. Oh. I uh, didn't initially know that the rear had lifted up. Yeah. Um, because. Uh, even though it drifted over about 10 or 12 inches, um, it only lifted up uh, about an inch and a half. Right. Um, and I didn't, I didn't exactly feel that. So when, when I was able to get the video from the producers and then really analyze it, uh, that gave me a better understanding of what really happened. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I, I, and that, that's a, that's a really good example, I guess, where having that kind of information is invaluable because there's only so much you can gauge, right. When you're on the bike. And so w- without the benefit of all the camera angles or whatever, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to figure that out, right. You wouldn't know that that's what happened and kind of help understand one, what went wrong and two, maybe how to prevent it in the future. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, Anyone that rides will know that you have a you have a deep connection with your bike and and are able to feel what's going on. And uh, given that you know, as a racer, we we push uh, push the bikes to a little bit further extent. Um, you start feeling more things that that you wouldn't otherwise feel if you're just riding uh, on the road. Um, so I do. I do have a, a wide range of feelings from the bike, but that definitely wasn't one of them. Uh, and they weren't able to see that on the, uh, I've got a full data acquisition. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if they were able to see that or not on the, uh, you know, from the data anyways, but then getting to see that on video, uh, not only did it give me a, a new perspective on what happened, it's able to help my, my team figure out how to prevent that in the future. Right. Definitely. That's no, that's awesome. Now when, so when, it, and I was going to ask, I'm glad you mentioned, so the, the data acquisition system, um, is, is that, something set up in a way that you're actually able to take a look at the data and make sense out of it yourself or does it kind of require an engineer to do or how does that work yeah so um my crew chief currently his name is marco bonesso and he's worked uh in MotoGP in uh world superbike and just about every elite uh racing situation you could imagine uh racing team rather and he has a very very wide uh range of knowledge and he's the one that uh that looks at data and then he also sends that data over to my team um and it uh it gets looked at by 
probably four or five different people and uh, they'll give different feedback on what can be done in terms of suspension, electronics, uh, engine uh, mapping and stuff like that. Um, so it is pretty complicated and all these people are, are highly trained in what they do. But um, just from a racer standpoint, without any uh, any formal learning in this uh in this aspect, um, I'm able to see some things like my throttle position and my brake uh, application and whatnot mm-hmm. um, and, and relate that and try and, uh, for example, a big thing I try and do when, when looking at the data is uh, figure out if there's a big gap between when I apply or from, from when I'm trailing off the brakes until I apl- apply throttle. So trying to limit the coasting time mm-hmm. is, right. uh, is something I really look at. Um, and it's interesting at road America last year, uh, I I didn't realize it, but I was actually in one corner. I was off the gas for four tenths of a second where I thought it was maybe about a 10th of a second. And, uh, I'm sure as you know, uh, every 10th, every hundredth matters in racing. Yep, so yep. to be off the throttle and not know it for, for an extra three tenths of a second, uh, made a huge difference, um, that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to see, uh, in looking at, uh, you know, uh, without data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do try and try and understand it as much as I can, but there's so much that goes into it. There's, um, I, th- I think on my bike, there's probably north of a hundred sensors and it's just a super sport bike. Right. Um, there's so much you can see, uh, so much information about the bike that, that, uh, you know, I, I mentioned being able to feel a lot of the things, but there are so many things that, uh, you just can't feel that the sensor are picking up on and whatnot. Um, and I, uh, in 2016, I raced world super sport. Uh, it was actually a subdivision that I raced called European super sport. So we just did the European rounds. Um, but my, uh, data technician over there, he, uh, he was another highly experienced, um, uh, data technician and had worked with, uh, plenty of high level racers and he, he uh, was the one that actually started teaching me some of these things about what to look for and how to actually look at data. Um, so ever since that, I've been trying to learn as I go. And, and even if I'm just watching my data technician, my crew chief, watch, uh, watching what they're doing, uh, I, I like to try and learn as much as I can. And um, at this point, I'm still pretty oblivious to 99% of the things that are out there, but it's so important to to try and learn about what's what's really going on more than just I can uh, more than just what I can feel. Sure. No, totally. I, I, no, that's cool. That that one that you have the ability, and two that you have the interest. And I, and I guess most, you know, the 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 best racers are like that, right? Like they they want to yeah. un- understand as much as they can, so they can, you know, be be as much a part of their performance improvement. You know, and and that's that's really crucial, right? Like the ability for the rider and the team, like the, the engineers and, and the mechanics to be able to communicate, right? Because, you know, and, and I, you know, I have no experience on a track. And in fact, one of the things I'm looking at, I don't know if it'll be this year, but at least next year I want to start doing track days. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, sometime in the future, like maybe I'll even try like some, you know, amateur racing or something like that. I think it'd be a lot of fun, totally. but, right. But, totally. but, um, but the, the point being that, so as, as a rider, so you're on the bike and you're experiencing something like whatever it is, I'm coming out of this turn and I'm getting front end shake or the, the, the back end is loose or like whatever. And so obviously the more you understand about the physics and mechanics of a motorcycle, the better you can communicate so that the team can then go, okay, we get what you're talking about. Cause it's like, 
you're on the bike on the track. They're not on the bike on the track. And so there's like this yep. dis- disconnect, right? And so I, I guess that's part of the, the better teams too is is really being able to communicate like that back and forth so because like obviously racing is a team effort right of course it's you on the bike ultimately right like you're the one that wins the race or wins the championship or whatever it happens to be right but it is a huge team effort and you know there's so much and that's what makes it fascinating for me because i have an engineering background you know and so i can appreciate like some of those nuances and the fact that like i said is it is truly a team sport there's so much going on in the background that you know if you're just watching racing on tv you're not really aware of yeah, absolutely. That's that's really interesting you say because that there's so many people who um, love racing but just don't know that uh, it is such a team effort. Um, I know at the AFM club races, uh, I had a fault in my wiring system. The bike started perfectly um, the morning of to get it warmed up, and then uh, went out to to get going on my race, but it had a fault. Um, one of the fuses had blown, but it's so tough to troubleshoot that because the fuse blown didn't show up uh, in the diagnostics unit. So they had to do some manual troubleshooting. And I think at one point I had uh, up to nine or ten different people working on my motorcycle and all highly trained and highly experienced uh, in what they do. Um, So it's it's really incredible to see that. And and, uh, I think it's important for people to know that uh, yes, you're you're right in in that it is a very individualistic sport. Um, you know, given that it's it's everyone for themselves, every man for themselves uh, when you're on the track. But uh, that's not possible. It's not possible to compete at a high level or or even um, at any level really uh, without support, without uh, team support. Um, so. And and like you said, there's there's many different nuances and and things that can go wrong. Uh, so not having a, a solid team to back you, uh, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Um, but yeah, the the team aspect of it is is so unseen by the public that uh, they they do think that it's a very uh, uh, individualistic sport and and see just the individuals. But there's so much behind the scenes that goes on. So so much. Uh, I mean, my mechanic and, and crew chief work. Uh, you know, so they'll they'll stay at the track way way later than uh, um, what you would think, and they'll stay into the night to to make sure that everything's running correctly and and everything like that. Because just one or two people, you know, the racer and one more guy trying to do it like that uh, would nearly be be impossible. Mm-hmm. And that that's one of the things that impresses me is and and I know I, I don't I can't think of names off the top of my head, but just you know I've um, right so basically I, like I used to be a big car racing fan and and I, like I still am I still I enjoy like the idea of Formula One and IndyCar and you yep. know, so, IMSA and the day and all that stuff. But w- once I started riding motorcycles, I, I just switched. You know, my interest just went to motorcycle racing and. Yeah, if I had the time, I'd still watch car racing, but there's so much more to motorcycle racing, just the nature of it, and yeah, you, you're just the talent, and you know, car racing, obviously, is talent, too, and, and you have all those engineering and mechanical things, and, and you have that whole team thing, but there's just something different about motorcycle racing, because what you guys do, like, you're really literally on the edge, and taking the most risk of most of the sports I could think of in, in terms of potential things that could go wrong. Right. And so yep. I guess the, I guess the flip side of that is, is it so much more rewarding, you know, when, when it goes right, you know, and, and, and when you get it right. Um, 
But totally. My, I'm trying to think what my point was. Um, anyway, so I, I guess that's just the, one of the things that just fascinates me about motorcycle racing, you know, is all, all these different things that we're talking about. And, and to your point about, you know, like the, the, the mechanics and the engineers who put in that effort and, you know, stay the late hours and whatever, um, you know, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I know, I, I, you know, I've heard interviews like with engineers and things where they're like, like, I don't go home at night until I'm confident I'm giving my rider the best bike I can put together, like the, the best and the Absolutely. safe and the safest. Right. Because you think about that. It's like, you know, I have enough concern. I don't do like anything major work wise on my motorcycles, but, you know, I like whatever I you know, check the check the fluid levels and this and that. And eventually I would like to start working wrenching on it more. But yep. like, like even there, like just when I get on the bike, my own bike, I want to be like, okay, is everything cool? Tire pressure is good. I got nothing wonky going on. And then to think about doing that, like, like, well, it's a good example. Like my girlfriend, you know, I'm of course careful with my bike, but if I'm doing anything with her bike, I'm even more careful because it's like now it's not just my life, it's somebody else's life. And so I could see Absolutely. a mechanic or an engineer being like, all right, so my racer is going to be, you know, hitting 160, 70, 80 miles an hour on this bike on the straightaway tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm going to put another 15 minutes into this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. You say that, you know, um, I did, I do mention that it is, it is a, a team effort and and whatnot and racing is also a business um yep, that sure. whole side of it can can be pretty frustrating and tough at times to uh to try and make everyone happy and and everyone wants to win of course and it's pretty frustrating when when uh when anyone's not um but i have the best relationship with my crew chief and and my mechanic and everyone else on my team i i i really uh, have a deep connection with them and uh, they they care about me as as a person and as a racer and they want to give me the best like you said the best possible bike um, for success and also the safest bike possible um, so uh, I know my mechanic has has put in hours upon hours and, and stayed until you know two in the morning sometimes just trying to uh, figure out how to make it safe and fast and uh and ultimately successful um so they're so deeply invested in it and invested in uh you know what they do and and uh how they do it yeah totally and uh, yeah that's interesting because one of the things i was thinking as you were saying that is you know, we, I, I, I talk a lot on my podcast and I think motorcyclists in general talk about the community, like the community of motorcyclists. It's like when, once you start riding, it's like you're kind of automatically adopted, you know, into this fraternity of people who are willing to help you out and share information, whatever. And yeah. I'm kind of looking at it going, what, what you have in racing probably even takes that to a much higher level. Like the, the, the like on on a successful racing team and it, that doesn't necessarily have to mean winning championships right successful racing team like working together and everyone's you know like yep. doing doing the best they can the, the the sense of community like of 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 a team must be tremendous yeah yeah that's uh that's exactly it it's it's incredible to see um people from so many different backgrounds uh my mechanic is nicaraguan and my crew chief is from italy and um, I've got some people working on my team that are, are from all around the world, from America and South America and Europe and, you know, any, anywhere you can imagine. Uh, 
just coming coming together and being able to connect over this one common common thing, which is motorcycles. It's really incredible to see that because they wouldn't have you know ninety nine point nine percent chance are are that they would never have uh, crossed paths otherwise. But it's so so cool to see uh, that motorcycle racing brings all these incredible and and unique people together and they're able to create bonds over motorcycle racing uh that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do so it's it's really incredible to see that as well yeah 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 totally and it's interesting like as we're talking about this i'm like going like like this this is exactly like the kind of stuff we're talking about is like the things i want my listeners to hear because you know like you said before like some people like watch racing and they're like well okay fine you know it's like uh you know, it's an individual sport and guys go out there on motorcycles and they go fast and they try to beat each other. Right. But, yep. but when you understand more and it, it's actually, I'll even back up a second. Right. Because the way, I, the, the way I started covering Moto America is I, before I started my own podcast, I was a co-host, I actually still am on another motorcycle podcast called throttled. And one of the guys oh. there had been covering Moto GP and American flat track and Kevin, yep. who, who you know started the podcast many years ago after i joined was like hey you know we've been thinking maybe we should you know cover moto america would would you be willing to do that you know and i was like Meh, i don't know moto america it's like you know moto gp is where it's at and it's like well okay but you know larry's covering it already and so like oh, okay fine like i'll you know i'm part of the group here i'll help out if that's what you guys need yeah. So, so the point is, and it's not like I had a bad opinion of Moto America or anything, but it's like, oh, Moto GP, you know, that's the thing, right? Yeah. And okay, fine. Yeah. That is still probably, other than maybe Isle of Man, the highest level of motorcycle racing in the world is Moto GP. But totally. the point I'm getting to, and and this is why I want to talk to people like you and whatever for the benefit of my listeners, is once I started covering Moto America. And I started watching the races and I started learning about the teams and I started learning about the racers and the bikes that they were on. I was like, this is really fascinating. You know, it, it right, because it, it's often the case. The more you learn about someone or something or a subject, the more you begin to appreciate it because you, you start to see what's in there that interest or that there are things there that interest you and there are things that align with, you know, what you're all about and, and whatever. And so, like, now I'm like, I'm like proud to cover Moto America. It's like, yeah, okay, so good. You did Moto GP. That's nice. Now let me tell you what's happening in Moto America, you know? That's uh, really cool. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, hey, I want to do, you know, this is unofficial. You know, I'm not a spokesperson for Moto America, but I want to just do what I can through the podcast and, you know, I'm on Facebook and whatever just yeah. to, to help spread the word because there's some really cool stuff going on, like everything we've talked about so far that people need to know about. And I think. The more yeah. they do, the more it's like, oh wow, oh oh wow, that is a team sport. Is oh, let me check that out. Or or you know, racers are athletes because that's a thing too. I've run into you know people yeah. like, well, you know, racing's not a sport because you just get in a car, you get on a motorcycle, and it carries you around. And it's like, you know, I've even said to people, it's like, have you ever like gone to a go kart track and like done a lap as fast as you can in a go kart? Because I'm telling you, I've done that. Like, you know, Florida, like they have these tracks, you know, you, you, whatever, you can race for $3 a lap or something, like a little go-kart. Yeah. And yep. I, I just know it's like if you're pushing it to the limit, like going as fast as you can, there's no power steering and there's no power brakes, you're going to feel it. Like, you're going to oh, know, yeah. know you did something, right? And so for sure, 
you know, whether you're in, in a race car or a racing motorcycle, dealing with the G-forces and, and all the body motion and stuff you guys have to do, I mean, that's got to be a workout. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I run into all sorts of people that'll say, um, oh, don't you just sit there and, and twist the throttle? And um, I've kind of come to the point where I just go along with it and say, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but it's... Uh, it's really so much more than that. I mean, I'm on a, uh, I'm currently on a pretty strict diet uh, in the past five weeks. Uh, I mean, I'm already uh, as as a my my body type. Um, I, I'm not set up for success. My dad uh, is is a very muscular guy with broad shoulders, and he's got a big build, and and uh, I'm not really set up to be a motorcycle racer like one of you know the typical jockey. Um, I've been on on a uh, pretty strict uh, diet and lost 14 pounds over the past uh, five mu- uh, five weeks rather, and I'm you know even before doing that I didn't really have a whole lot to lose uh, in terms of body weight body mass. Um, so uh, in addition to that, I'm also on uh, you know uh, six six or sometimes seven days a week of training um, and also you know as much riding and track time as I can get as possible. Um, it's, uh, people don't realize what goes into it in terms of training. And I can tell you that last year and the start of this year, arm pump was, it was a really big issue for me where, um, I, I don't know the exact problem, uh, or, or the definition of arm pump, but, uh, when your arm kind of swells up and, and the blood supply is, is cut off and, uh, or, or to a certain extent, and my hands, anyways, were going numb, and um, that's just be- from from trying to to muscle around the bike, and and from the vibration and breaking. I only break with one finger, which is probably another reason why that uh, I'm having that issue. But also applying throttle and everything like that, and also all while leaning over and your, your body's all twisted up and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get over this issue. It last year, it actually caused me to crash because I just didn't, didn't have that connection with the bike anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, after, after, you know, after I crashed, Oh, sorry. No, first round this year after I crashed, uh, I decided, Hey, I got to change things up. And this was after, um, also after a very rigorous, training program that I've been on for two years and I thought that uh, I was doing everything perfectly in terms of training and then I realized after I crashed and and got because I got an arm pump uh, I said to myself hey maybe I need to take this up another notch Um, so I've started to do all sorts of cardio multiple days a week and and some weightlifting but not to build muscle and yeah, that's that's kind of a side to it that that so many people don't see. They they just will see the racing or interviews afterwards, but it is totally a full time job. And um, I mean, I'm like I said, training and committing myself to uh, eating clean and taking care of my body and uh, doing rehab when when I have an injury like this and uh, doing everything possible to just be in the, in the best possible physical fitness. Um, so that's, that's another thing that I think is important for people to know is that, uh, there's, there's so much more in terms of physical training, uh, that goes into it. And, 
it's it's pretty impossible to try and run anywhere near the front without that. Oh yeah, I I definitely could understand that. I mean, I uh, it, it's actually interesting. I mean, this is you know nowhere near the level of what you're talking about, but you know it's 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 funny because when I started riding whatever three years ago, right? Um, yep. I started seeing pictures of myself on my motorcycle, you know, which was a, <clears throat> I still have it actually, Kawasaki Vulcan S, sport cruiser. And oh, yeah. like, like the gut that I had, you know, beer gut was, was becoming really obvious to me. <clears throat> anyway, long story short, I was like, yeah, I, this is not good. What am I doing? It's like, I, I enjoy this. I want to, I want to, you know, I found this sport that I really love doing. I want to do this as many years as I can. And so I, you know, I got on a, you know, a weight loss program, basically. I lost like 40 pounds. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm now at the point where I still got some pounds to lose, but it's like, I just feel so much better on the bike. My stamina is better. So there is like, I definitely understand what you're saying with that connection. Yeah. And, and, and I know even like, if I go on a weekend trip and I'm not doing 180, 70 miles on the straightaway and I'm not, you know, I'm not experiencing the G-forces and stuff, but if I take the bike for a weekend, you know, I've got a naked bike. There's no windshield, right? So you're doing 70 miles yep. an hour. You're getting hit with 70 miles an hour of wind for hours on end kind of thing, right? Yeah, by the, totally. By the, by the end of the weekend, I, like, I'm totally exhilarated. I enjoyed myself. Like, I'm spiritually, I'm just feeling awesome. But my body's like, okay, that's it, buddy. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're, 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 we're done. Like, it, it is, it's draining, you know? So. Absolutely, yeah. You're 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 totally right in saying that it is so draining. Um, riding a motorcycle uh, is very very physically demanding, um, and which is why it's it's so frustrating when people say, "Oh yeah, don't you just sit sit there and twist the throttle?" And, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Those, yeah, sure. Yeah, I've just been because it, it's so tough to explain to people that aren't familiar with motorcycles that. There's so much more to it, um, and it's it's without actually sitting on a motorcycle and and riding one for a weekend or, or racing one, it uh, it's really impossible to know that it actually is isn't uh, or it's it's tough to know that it actually is more than just sitting there and twisting the grip. That uh, there's so many inputs you have to do with your your hands and feet and. Um, you know, moving your body in the correct ways and, and making sure that uh, you're riding safely and, and also riding properly. Um, there's so, so much more to it that people need to, they need to understand that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting too, you know, what you had mentioned about like the arm pump and numbness and stuff. I don't know. I don't think I've ever really experienced the arm pump per se, but in riding, and I'm just talking street bike, you know, like riding yep. highway for a couple hours or something like that. I've definitely experienced like the like numbness in the hands and kind of thing. And aside from being uncomfortable, you know, and, and it's largely in part from vibration. Like I know that's part of it. Like motorcycles that vibrate more, I tend to have it more. But the other thing is yeah. the, mo the more I'm educating myself on riding, like reading, you know, Keith Code's A Twist of the Wrist. And, and the more I'm educating myself, the more I'm realizing it also has a lot to do with, like you're saying, my my body position and what I'm doing. And like if, if I'm gripping the handlebar, and it's kind of funny because I had read this. It's like numbness can come from just grabbing the, whole, the handlebars too tight. You're just holding on too yep. tight. And I'm like, yeah, come on. I'm not holding the handlebars tight. That's not, you know, that, that can't be what it is. And, you know, then I started yeah. to think about it more and read about it more. And I think it was uh, Fast Eddie, who's a guy that's, you know, into just helping people get safer on motorcycles, who had, 
I think in one of his videos, he made the point of like, kind of imagine, you know, holding your handlebars with like a raw egg between your hand and the handlebar. Like, like that kind of level of pressure is what you want. And when I started to actually do it, not just be like, oh yeah, I do that. But actually like, am I really doing that? I realized how much more comfortable I was. And, and I definitely was getting the numbness much less frequently or, or it would take a lot longer. But yeah. the thing, the thing is, I know, like I, I've written, like, let's say I'm doing an hour and a half, two hour stint on what, the parkway, expressway, or so highway, whatever. Right. And, yep. and, and now it's time to get off at my exit. And I'm like, wow, like my throttle hand is actually, it's, it's numb. And it's like, I'm having trouble working the brakes, <laughs> you know, like, it's yeah. like, like it takes a minute to get the feeling back. So I'm like, yeah, I could see how one it's disconcerting and two, it's dangerous too. Right. So if you're not yeah. managing all that stuff, if you don't know what causes it and you're not doing something to, to lessen it or stop it, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, uh, it, it's really scary when, when you're riding and, and things are going well and then you try and, uh, try and break or, or apply throttle or whatever it may be. And, and you, you can't because you just can't feel your fingers. It is, you're very right. It's very, very scary. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Especially when, you know, when you realize you're doing 150 miles an hour. So, um, but so you're, you're racing in the super sport class, right? And so yep. in Moto America, right? So that's, I was just looking at the website. So basically that's bikes over 400 CC up to 600 four stroke four cylinder or over 500 CC up to 675 four stroke three cylinder or, and I guess this is the class, the, 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 the spec you're in, right? Which is 600 CC up to 750 CC four stroke two cylinder, right? Cause the, uh, the, the, the ZX six R is, is that a two cylinder? Uh no, that's that's four cylinder. It is a four. Uh, okay. Six, yeah. Okay. Because gotcha. because it hasn't made any strides into the series yet, um, with the exception of me, um, they've 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 they're trying to bring it into the class by by opening it up to that bike. Okay, gotcha. Now is that that bike is a six thirty six cc, right? Yeah. Okay, right. gotcha. And that's why that's why I didn't think it fit in the first. But okay, so that makes sense. So Moto America, I guess, is kind of whatever, working with Kawasaki and whatever. They're trying to figure out how to make it. Well, yeah. Like, like, is your bike sort of not official right now, or well, or um, you have like an they, exemption or something? They're they're kind of in a, in a certain sense making an exemption just because the bike is is still, um, although it's very uh, developed and well put together by my team, Graves Motorsports. Um, they are making a slight exen- exemption uh, just because the bike is still very primitive in its development stages, and uh, it's it's also um, not running at the podium right now. Um, I so gotcha. there's there hasn't really been anyone to complain about it. Right. So if you were dominating, they'd be like, "Whoa, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah, and try and <laughs> level it. Yeah, they they try and level it out, but. Um, with his Suzuki's, uh, Moto America has, has kind of made some exceptions uh, with regards to them to allow them to still be racing um, because there's such there's you know without it, it's kind of tough to know that those Suzuki's uh, are actually pretty old um, and they're still still developing them somehow, um, but Moto America is allowing them to race even though they might not strictly fit into the rules um they are it it brings more people into the series and draws more fans and makes the racing more competitive so what they're trying to do is make kawasaki another front runner and 
get the racing even more competitive on that on that level. Gotcha. That that actually makes a lot of sense. And I know that's one of I don't know the the nuances of it, but it always struck me as one of the tricks of any racing series, and I know like NASCAR gets heavily criticized for it and whatever, is, you know, like you said before, racing is a business, right? There, there's amateur club yep. racing. Okay, that's fine. But this is pro racing. This is professional racing, and it is a business, and there's a lot of money yep. at stake. And, you know, so you have to understand it, you know, in, in at least in part, you know, it operates as a business like any pro sport. Um, yeah. but, but that balancing act of, okay, so here's our rules and regulations, but you kind of for the you know for the benefit of the fans and for the the race teams and the participants and the sponsors and the manufacturers you kind of have to tweak things once in a while to like level the playing field so at least you know everyone's got a shot you know now you don't want where someone's got an unfair advantage but like technology constantly changes and you know it it must be a, a nightmare honestly for for the guys in any series whether it's Moto America Moto GP to be like okay what do we do with the rules this year you know to to keep it fair and keep it equitable but keep everybody and like you said try to make everybody happy which is never possible right yeah. and then just keep everybody interested cuz ultimately you, you got to have manufacturers participating you got to have teams willing to you know to 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 race and then you got to have fans that want to watch so it's like yeah that's a big game yeah absolutely it is absolutely it is um it's it's tough like this uh last year i believe yamaha was totally dominating and um it's uh i think jd beach and hayden gillam were both on gravesville yamahas and they were walking away from the field um so it was tough for really anyone but those two to try and compete. So uh, I believe Moto America kind of opened up to Suzuki and Kawasaki and and have successfully done so because the racing this year is incredibly tight. Suzuki's running up front. There's Yamaha's running up front. And, and uh, I want to say hopefully uh, within the next uh, couple rounds, I want to see that Kawasaki running up front as well make the racing uh, another step more competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, right? So, I mean, it's just an interesting coincidence, not the reason I wanted to interview you, but, you know, I'm a big Kawasaki fan. You know, I've got the Kawasaki Vulcan S and I've got a Z900 RS that, you know, my listeners know I talk about all the time. I love these bikes. Um, but so I, I thought it was kind of cool, cool, cool connection that, you know, you're currently racing on a Kawasaki. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, too. I recently test rode not the bike you're on per se, because there may be some things changed, right? But the ZX6R, um, the the yeah. Kawasaki demo truck was out, you know, and it was riding on the street, and you know, it's kind of tame what you can do. It's not like being on a track, but I'm telling you, man, that bike, that bike's a monster. It's like I I just I loved every minute of it. I don't think. I got out of second gear the whole time, you know, even though we got up to 60 miles an hour. It's just like that bike, you just sit on that thing and you, you start it up, you crack the throttle and it's like, let's go. Come on. What are you waiting for? <laughs> let's yeah. go. You know, it's got so yeah. much. You feel the power. You feel the torque. It, it just it feels like a race bike. So I'm like, absolutely. Wow. This thing's, you know, Braden's got to be having a blast racing this thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. I am. Uh... I'm having a great time on this bike. It's it's super super powerful, and honestly, Graves uh, Motorsports is still making headway with the engine and mapping, and all sorts of torque and cow- uh, power curves and whatnot. Um, they're still making headway with it every day, uh, so I can't wait to see where it's going to go in the future. But um, I remember at VIR actually, I think I was starting on the third row and uh, into the first corner. Um, I was 
you know, all, almost running into the guy in, in first place. I was sitting in second from, from ninth to second, just off the start. Wow. Uh, the bike. Yeah. The bike is incredibly powerful. Um, and the torque is unlike anything else. Uh, it's, uh, the Yamahas are in, in terms of geometry, they're pretty aggressive in how they ride. And the Kawasaki is, is much more level, um, in terms of the front and the rear. And, I mentioned that the bike is, is still pretty primitive in its developmental stages as a race bike. Okay. Um, so they're, they're still learning a lot about how to set it up um, because the bike inherently, the way it rides, it rides uh, with a lot of rear grip. And Dunlop as well have been developing the rear tire a little bit faster than their front tire. So when the rear tire is just a little bit better and the bike has more mechanical grip from the rear, yeah. um, it, it can cause a lot of problems in terms of suspension and, and feeling from the front end. Uh, so we're, we've been battling to get around that. Uh, and it's a shame we, we got over it at Laguna Seca uh, during that qualifying session and before that. Uh, and that was the first, first round we did. So it's a real shame I didn't get to test out in the race, but uh, I mean, there, there's so much potential to this bike and, and so much you can do to it. And given the extra displacement, uh, there's so much potential with the engine as well. I think it's going to be really competitive within uh, a very short amount of time. Yeah, awesome. So, do do you feel like your your current track of recovery? Are you going to be able to race in the upcoming race? Um, so I was supposed to be racing the club race AFM this weekend. Uh, right. Like I said, I'd be missing that one. Um, I'm supposed to have a, a full uh, two to three weeks of recovery time for for my concussion. Um, and my shoulder, uh, I was initially thinking that I maybe tore my rotator cuff partially, uh, but I was very excited to learn that it was, uh, just a small AC joint separation. So the doctor said that, uh, even how it is right now, if I could manage the pain, that it'd be good to race. So, um, after another two weeks, uh, of recovery with my head and recovery with my arm, I think that'll definitely be ready to go for, uh, Sonoma. Oh, awesome. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I definitely hope that works out for you and things things go smoothly. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'll, I will definitely be watching the race. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll hope to be at the front for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so, uh, but before we wrap up for today, um, do you have any any advice like for for new riders or you know people want to start doing track days or even like people who are interested in starting racing? Um, yeah, yeah, there's, uh, I, I was working with my riding coach pretty closely, uh, at the start of this year about, uh, I know it's going to sound not very technical, but, uh, just flow. Um, and that for different people that can mean a couple different things. Um, but I was, I was really heavy on the brakes and, and had a big gap between when I was getting to the throttle and, uh, at Laguna this, this past two weeks, um, I just really embraced flow and uh, corner speed and whatnot and just being smooth with my inputs, and it made a world of a difference. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I crashed there, so um, that that was kind of a, a, an unrelated thing. Um, but if I can say one thing, is, is just to, to be smooth. Um, smooth with your inputs and... and um, and how you ride and uh, just it motorcycle riding um, is all one fluid dynamic. And when you try and 
when it when it's anything other than than fluid and smooth and flowing, uh, you can encounter some issues. So for sure, one thing that's made a huge difference for me is uh, just having more flow in what you do, how you ride, uh, how you apply the brakes, how you apply the throttle, um, get through corners and whatnot, and and just um, being smooth and relaxed and uh, uh, relaxed but still focused all the time. Awesome, awesome, good, good advice. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. And and when you said flow, I totally got it because it's like it got me thinking about like what you said, the smoothness of it. And and I, I even like I'm thinking like what we talked about, like Laguna Seca, like that run up to the corkscrew and through the corkscrew. It's like. I, I guess it's a lot. It's a lot. It's flow and it's timing. It's like, and that's easy to uh, say because there's so many things you're controlling on the bike. But you know, it's that because when you when you see, like, you just know, like, when you if if you pay attention, you watch motorcycle racing. You know, like, when when you, sometimes you just see a rider, they're just like in a groove. It's just like boom. It's just like so graceful kind of you know it's just like just going yep. through and it's like you can tell they're just like it's kind of like they're on their peak performance. You know, that's as fast Absolutely. as that rider is going to do that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's when things are going right, everything everything works together. You know, uh, as a rider, you're doing everything uh, smoothly, and you know it may not look fast, honestly, um, but just being smooth on the bike uh, will pay great dividends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, if uh, people wanna wanna follow you or whatever, what what's the best way for people to follow you social media and, and to contact you if they want? So I'm uh, I'm on Instagram uh, and that's at Ort Racing, and then I've got a personal Facebook page, um, Braden Ort, and then uh, a Facebook racing page, uh, Braden Ort Racing, where I post all sorts of updates, and then uh, Twitter as well, which is at Ort Racing. Um, so give it a follow, and I'll. I'll you know, I'm, I'm constantly posting updates on on how race weekends are going and and uh, and how the season's going over overall. Awesome, cool. All right, and I'll I'll, I'll put those in the show notes too, so people can can easily find you on the uh, on the on the internet and social media. Wonderful. Yeah. So, Braden, listen, I really appreciate this. This, is, this has been a blast. I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I've learned a lot. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, so I appreciate you you fitting this in. But uh, I know, like I said, I know the listeners are going to really enjoy listening to this. And uh, hopefully we, we get more people interested in following you in racing and in Moto America. Absolutely. Yeah. It warms, warms my heart to, to think about people coming into the sport. And uh, I'm just glad I can help. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you again to Braden Ort for taking the time to join me on the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. As always, thank you to everyone who has written in. If I haven't mentioned you on the show yet, I will in a future episode. But I do answer everyone's emails and messages personally as soon as I can, usually the same day. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook or Instagram and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. You can email me at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to go to my website, soyouwanttorideamotorcycle.com, where you'll find all my contact details. I still have stickers available, so definitely if you're interested in helping me promote the podcast, just uh, email me your mailing address and I will get them out to you as soon as I can. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right on my website. 
Please like and leave me comments and a rating on your favorite podcast service. That'll help other people find my podcast. And please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride. Please help me keep spreading the word and help me build my online and listener communities. Thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 